0: starting a new series today called Your Story, God's Glory. What I love about this series is that it's focused on purpose. And a a topical sermon series often will hit some people, but leave others out. Preach on marriage for six weeks, and you'll hit about, you know, 60% of your congregation. But there's other people that feel left out. And that's true for almost any topic. But when it comes to purpose, like this is all of us. I feel like every one of us either has had questions about our purpose or you're questioning it now or you will soon. Like, this is going to hit all of us at some point. Why am I here? What am I doing here? Like, what's the point of working like a dog every week to make a little money to pay my bills and then I try to hustle and make more money so I can buy more stuff and pay bigger bills and we do that for decades and that's it? Is that really why we've been given this one glorious life on earth is to work for someone else and pay bills and maybe save a little if we're lucky? Like there has to be something else. We've all had that existential crisis that happens whenever you look in the mirror, well not all of us yet, I see some young, young people here, but you will, this will be you soon, you'll look in the mirror one day and you'll see it, that very first gray hair and it will rock you. It is, I mean, it should rock you. It is a big deal because it is a the first sign, really, that your body is dying. (laughs) That's what that means. Not to be more of it, but that is the beginning of a long decomposition process that happens over a long period of time. And it's just the first sign of many. And that is why stylists all over Houston can charge people hundreds of dollars to cover that stuff up. Because they know we'll pay for it. Because they know people will pay a pretty penny. Not just for vanity or style, but to deny the appearance of death itself. To deny that reality. Why do we do that? You know, it's not because it looks bad. Because of what it represents. And I get it. It's overwhelming to think about this life being your only one, especially when it feels like this life is passing you by. And it's overwhelming to think about if you feel lost in terms of your purpose, to think about what you're supposed to be doing with this life. What am I supposed to be doing and why? And if you were here for Christmas Eve services, you heard me talk about the what and the why. And how important both of those things are. So just to redefine those things quickly, the what of your life is what you spend your time doing, what you invest yourself in, how you busy yourself. And all of us have what? All of us have a lot of what. We're very good at busying ourselves. But the why is the existential, transcendent reason behind the what. And the problem that I see in the world when I when I just look, I don't mean this judgmentally, but when I look around me and within myself too, I I see a lot of what. With very little why. The problem with that is that without a why, the what eventually loses its meaning. And that's when we end up looking in the mirror and going, What am I doing here? Why am I spending my time doing all this stuff? Because you have so many whats and so little why in your life. So if you think about it, the sort of the deck is stacked against us from the get go in our society, in our culture, there's all kinds of social rules and norms that are imposed upon us. By whom? I'm not even sure. But there's all kinds of shoulds and ought tos that are age-based even that make us feel like a failure if we don't reach certain milestones by certain ages. And I have no idea where these come from, but a couple of examples. By the time you're 25, most people feel like you're supposed to have some kind of college degree, if not more than one college degree. And if you reach 25 without even like an associate's degree, you know, like any kind of favor at all from an uh, institution of higher learning, other people will look at you and wonder, wow, I wonder why. I wonder what happened. They're 25. And they haven't even graduated college. They don't have any kind of degree. I wonder what went wrong. That's the, whether that's true or not, I wonder why we do that. And I wonder why we internalize those doubts as well. We think that about ourselves. When we hear other people asking that, we wonder, I wonder what's wrong with me? Why don't I have a degree by 25? And it doesn't stop there. It gets worse. By 28, you're supposed to have your career figured out by 28, according to these unwritten rules of society. You're supposed to have direction. (laughs) You're supposed to know why you're here, what your passion is, and you're supposed to be making a living pursuing that passion And if you don't have that, if you haven't like been promoted or have some upward mobility in that career path you've chosen, you'll have friends that have had those things and you'll start to wonder, what's wrong with me? And it gets worse. By age 30, if you're a woman, especially you're supposed to be married according to these unwritten rules. And if you're not married by 30, if you're a woman, and in some cases, 33, 34, if you're a man, Even in this modern culture of ours, you'll still face the questions, I wonder what's going wrong here. I wonder why she's not married yet. And it will start to feel like after you turn 30 and you're single, that like the only question anyone ever cares to ask you is, so are you seeing anyone yet? And when you say no, you'll get the, you know, the sort of pitiful like sideways glance, you know, and your friend is like, oh, sweetie, it's okay, it'll happen. You know, she bounces her baby on her hip, you know, just to turn the knife a little. And, and uh, that's, that's how it feels because we have these unwritten rules and if you don't meet them, you feel like a failure. And by age 35, you're supposed to have kids. And if you don't, you feel like life is passing you by. You feel cheated maybe. By age 40, you're supposed to be primed and ready for your prime earning years. 40 to 60, you're supposed to be ramping up. And if you feel stuck in your early 40s, it's this this disastrous recipe for this all too common acting out that you see, especially in men, but also in women in their 40s who feel unfulfilled as if they're not meeting the standard. You see excessive drinking, you see illicit affairs, you'll see men far too old for convertibles, driving with the top down, getting their, you know, uh, sunburn on their bald spot. <laughs> like, oh, uh, so much irony in that, in that image. And I'm sorry if that's too close to home for some of you. But, but it's just, that's, that's kind of what happens when we reach because we feel left behind. And in your 40s, you're supposed to buy a forever home, which is a weird way of talking about, you know, this big house you're supposed to buy that can accommodate your whole future family you're going to have, you're supposed to have. And and don't spend too much on your forever home because in your 50s, you're supposed to have enough money saved up to send all of your kids to college to pay their way to college so that they can spend their lives chasing all the empty dreams you've spent your life chasing. And they're supposed to be grateful for it. And then you retire, I guess, sometime in your 60s. And you spend the rest of your days in your forever home or golfing or knitting or antiquing and wondering why the kids and grandkids don't come visit you in this house you bought for them 20 years ago. (laughs) And that's it. It just never stops. It's this unceasing cycle. And what's ironic about it is that it is a double-edged sword, if you think about it. Because that series of tests makes no one happy. Obviously, if you fail those tests, you're going to feel like life has passed you by. But even if you pass those tests, and I've known people who have passed and exceeded those tests with flying colors, even if you pass the tests, you walk around, you walk throughout your whole life feeling like you should be happier than you are because you've done everything right. You pass the tests. So why don't I feel better than I do? Why isn't, it, why isn't my life more fulfilling than it is? Well, you know, the, the Christian answer here, the Christian worldview in the Bible would suggest it's because you were not created for those things. And those things are fine. Don't hear me say, like, I don't want all y'all to quit your jobs and be hermits or whatever, but those things are fine, but they should not be your ultimate what. And they certainly shouldn't be your why. All right, sometimes we get that twisted. They are not what you exist for. They are not your purpose, okay? So the, the purpose that you're looking for is something beyond just that. And when we look to scripture, we find some answers. And the the first I think clearest verse I could give you about your purpose is from uh, from Colossians chapter one verses fifteen and sixteen. In this passage, Paul is talking about Jesus, you know, Christ. Okay, so as the Son, is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know who God is, just look at Christ. That's who God is, the firstborn over all creation. For in Christ. All things were created, including you. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, you may not be at a place where your trust level of scripture is enough to stake your whole life on this claim. I just want you to consider the possibility that this is true that you were created, you exist through Christ and for Christ, and if that is true, the implications are stunning. If that's true, it's a game changer, because you've been told your whole life that to find your purpose, you're supposed to look within. To find the meaning of your life, you're supposed to search yourself, find yourself, and you've tried. You've, done, you've watched Eat, Pray, Love a thousand times. You've read some Buddhist book that a friend gave you. You've meditated, and all. you've breathed, and all this stuff, and you still haven't found yourself, well, you're right there. Like just, you're here, I see you. You're, you found you, like you're here, okay? But your purpose is not within you. Your purpose actually lies in something outside of you, something bigger than you, and someone greater than you. So you are not the star of your own story. If we wrap our heads around that, I think we're on, we're, we're, we're on the cusp of something big. So if you're not the center of your own story, you're not the center of the universe, and Christ is, how would that change your life? I wanna talk about a few ways that this is fleshed out, that this is lived, okay? I wanna get specific. Maybe you can build some New Year's resolutions. It's not too late. Probably broken the original ones already. So you can make some new ones starting January 3rd, okay? Some three things that I think are, are ways we can flesh out Uh, an an existence that is founded on Christ, First, if you were created, or I should say because you were created through Christ and for Christ, you exist to worship Christ. You exist to worship Christ. Now, skeptics in the room will say that's a very convenient thing for a pastor to say because the pastor wants you to go to church. He wants warm butts in seats. He wants uh, checks in the offering and all that stuff. Listen, notice I did not say you exist to go to church." I did not say you exist to go to worship. And I want you to disavow any notion of worship being interlaced with organized religion. It's not. I mean, I know that worship is a, a function of organized religion, but it's not exclusively about that. Worship is a universal truth for all of us, regardless of religious identity or lack thereof. Everybody worships. Everybody worships because essentially worship is just offering yourself completely to something. And we all do that. The question isn't, do you worship or not? The question is, what do you worship? Who do you worship and why? Uh, So it's a great uh, author Uh, a late great author who ended up, uh, after he said these uh, words, he ended up uh, taking his own life, unfortunately. Um, But he was onto something when he said these words. David Foster Wallace, in a keynote address, said, the only choice we get in life is what to worship. pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. He's saying anything other than God. If you worship money and things, you will never have enough. And uh, the worship, uh, your own beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. When time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid. You will need ever more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. And the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings, right? So the the premise of Scripture is that your truest default setting is Christ. And worshiping Christ is the only way to find your true identity and live that out. I wanna look in uh, for the rest of this time together. I wanna to talk about one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. This is uh, from Romans chapter 12. And the first two verses of Romans 12 go like this Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what is your true and perfect worship? Suit and tie on a Sunday morning? Offering yourself completely to God. Worship is the act of giving yourself completely to God. Okay, so what this means then is uh, to worship Christ as part of your purpose, your reason for being, isn't necessarily a weekly hour at the church house. It is waking up every day, and choosing as your first words of the day to be, God, I'm yours. Good morning, God. I'm yours. Thank you for life today. I'm in your hands. Use me as you will. And let those be your first words instead of some, you know, string of four-letter expletives because your back hurts or, you know, some reaction to whatever's on your iPhone when you get up or anything else. Just first thing, out of bed in the morning, God, I'm yours today. Thank you for my life use me as you will, if you started every morning of 2021 with that prayer, I promise you, you will have a very different year this year. That would be, in itself, the simplest, maybe most profound way to change your life, to start your day with worship. Worship of the one who deserves it, and nothing less, all right? You were made to worship Christ. And in worshiping him, you find your true identity. That's first. Second, because you're created through Christ and for Christ, you were made, you exist to serve Christ. This is a little unsettling when I say it out loud, but we were all born slaves. And I don't mean that like uh, it's hopeless. I just mean we're wired to serve. And it's like Bob Dylan said, everybody's got to serve somebody. So you're going to serve a master. The question is, who will your master be? And the irony is, someone can be literally a slave in their real life on earth and be freer than their master. It's because we choose in our hearts who our masters will be, who our true masters will be. We choose to serve who we choose to serve. And so the the problem here is that we often serve masters that are unwieldy, undeserving. And the good news of the gospel is that when you submit yourself to the Lord, submit yourself to Jesus as your master, you find in him a master who is unwilling to allow the master-slave relationship to define you. Instead, he he will adopt you as a son, as a daughter, he will give your life purpose, all right? So you were created to serve. I want to read this next part of this passage and then talk about it a little bit more because this is the hardest one of the three for most people. Most people do not get this part about serving Christ. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment and according with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the other. He's talking about the church here, obviously, a gathering of believers, and how we function together. What he's saying is every member of the body has a a role to play. Here's the problem. Problem is, in most churches, and the story is no exception, about 20% of the people do over 80% of the serving. And in some cases, the problem is that that 20% really loves to serve so much, that's like they're everything, and so they don't leave room for others to join in. But in most cases, In most cases, people either don't feel invited or willing or not willing to to step up and serve or you don't feel equipped. And if you kept reading the passage I just read, you would see Paul's list of some of the gifts God gives us. If you don't think you're gifted to serve, you're wrong. And some of the things that he listed seem very mundane. He's like, mercy, if you have a gift of mercy, if you're just a merciful person, if you're someone, when someone's going through a hard time and you're able to, to, to empathize, that's a ministry to serve with use that for the kingdom. And so the act of service is nothing complicated. Service is just the act of doing God's will with the gifts God gave you. It's as simple as that. Service is the act of doing God's will with the gifts God gave you. So I've noticed kind of a trend with new believers especially. This may not be some of y'all, maybe, I don't know, But new believers come in and they accept Jesus, maybe get baptized and go go to church and they're all all about it. On social media, they're telling the world about this new church they discovered and they're on fire until the novelty wears off and every sermon starts to sound the same. And and then it's like, what's next? Service is what's next. Listen, uh, to just go to worship and consume the content without serving is like a runner who carb loads for a marathon, but never runs the race. And it feels good for a while until it doesn't. And after a while of carb loading without running, you just feel fat and ashamed. (laughs) That's what happens when we just worship and just receive and just fill our cups without serving in some tangible way. And I don't care how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, young and old, there's a place and a way for you to serve have to make your desires known. You have to step forward. In some ways, you have to create your own job sometimes. But if your gift is teaching, teach in the church. If you're a leader in the real world, lead in the church with integrity and with diligence. If you're, as I said, if you're merciful with people, be merciful in your role at church. Like, there are ways for you to serve, and it's only when you choose to serve consistently, not one in a while, but consistently that you will discover your truest purpose. You were not created to be served. You exist to serve Christ. Okay. Third and finally, you exist to love Christ. Because you were created through Christ and for him, you exist to love him. And that sounds obvious enough. Most of us are cool with love. We love love. We love to be loved. We love to be in love. But I would remind you right now that love is not just a feeling. Don't listen to the lies of this world that love is a feeling. And when you're in it, you feel it. And when it's gone and you don't feel it, you should move on. (laughs) That's not love. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. Love is a choice you make whether you feel it or not. you listening? Love is a choice. I'll never forget my wedding day. So I was 20 years old on my wedding day. And so was my wife. 20 years old. No, she wasn't pregnant. Um, <laughs> that's what everybody asks. Um, but no, it was just, we were stupid. That was it. And, um, <laughs> and my dad was the officiant. He was the, the pastor for our wedding. And I'll never forget, we were standing sort of back in the sacristy, like the back room, like in the front of the church though, you know, when Pachelbel's Canon is playing. And there's like three minutes left before we go out and take center stage and I become a husband. And he turns around to me, the pastor of my wedding, my father turns around to me, puts his hands on my shoulders and says, son, are you really sure you want to do this? (laughs) He said, there's still time. If you need to change your mind, there's time. And I'm like, dad, what are you talking about? Like, we're about to go out there and get me married and you're going to do it. Like, I need you on board with this here. I I thought it sounded insane. Time to change your mind? Like, I was in love. I felt it in my heart for her. And I thought then there was no way to change your mind if you feel it in your heart. Well, my dad had been married for 24 years at that point. And he knew very well that marriage can show you in ways very other parts of your life can, very little uh, can, that, that marriage and love are a choice, not a feeling. And that sometimes you won't feel it. When you don't feel it, choosing to love anyway is the essence of what real love is. That is the gospel. The gospel is the story of a God who loved unlovable people like us, who loved us when we were his enemies, who died for us on the cross. That was not a feeling he had. That was a choice he made. Embodying love for us, and that's the way we are to love God and one another. So this is the last part of, uh, of the passage from Romans that I'll read today. Uh, this is Romans 12, verses nine and 10. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. So when you love God, you will inevitably, invariably love the people around you as well. So when I say we exist to love Christ, I'm talking about love in the sense that it is a choice to do the will of God. to embrace the whole heart of God, his will, his ways, and his word, even when you don't feel like it. I did not understand this for most of my life. I thought love was a feeling. And in some ways, that's why I walked away from God when I stopped feeling him when I was in college. Maybe some of you can relate to that. But The more I learned about God, the more I saw in the Bible, God is described as a father more than any other thing. That's the Bible's favorite analogy for God. What does that mean? I didn't discover what it really means until I became a father. And I realized that a good father's heart is this unstoppable force. It's almost a, a rage inside of you, but a healthy one, right? Like I would stop at nothing to protect my children. And even if they could never muster the courage or ability to tell me that they loved me, it wouldn't change my love for them. That's the the love of a father. That's the kind of love that the Bible says God has for us. Now, the other side of that is I absolutely live for them telling me that they love me. And even if they couldn't, you know, and, and I would still love them, that's true, when they do... It's my heart melts like wax. It's, it's like a blood in my veins. Just give me more of that. When my kids tell me that they love me, and I just say that to ask you as we start a new year together. When you pray, how often do you tell God, I love you? And when was the last time you told God what you love about him? So we've talked about three things today. Worship, service, and love. We've talked about doing three things differently this year. Waking up every morning and saying, God, I'm yours. First thing. Strategizing, making a plan to serve in 2021 rather than just receive. And then to love God, telling God that we love him and why. The thing about all three things we're we're talking about today is that these are the three things the Bible says unequivocally we will be doing in heaven. One of the reasons why it's important to understand your purpose is that if you fall for the lie of this world and you believe that your purpose is to have a forever home in your 40s or 50s, you're going to be sorely disappointed when you realize you get at best three or four decades in that home. And that the only forever home that's forever is the one that you'll have with Christ in heaven. And so this life we have is an opportunity to grow, to practice, to perfect our life in him. And these three things, worship God, serve God, love God, are the three things the Bible says we're going to be doing in heaven. There's not going to be Aggie football in heaven. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's just the truth. There's not going to be any football. I don't think. Maybe there will. I don't know. But is not even going to be important. There's not going to be nuclear family there. There's going to be worship, service, and love. And we have an opportunity now to get this right in our hearts so that our hearts will be prepared to embrace this life in eternity. You were created, you exist for far more than this world will tell you about. And if you feel unfulfilled and just restless in your heart, not because you're missing all those marks. It's because those marks aren't even what you should be aiming at. Married at 30 or not, doesn't really matter. Babies by 35 or not, really doesn't matter. It doesn't change who you are in Christ. It doesn't change your purpose in life. Forever home in your 40s, whatever, who cares? You were created for more. I pray that you will embrace that. As we start this new year together, you were created through Christ and for him to worship, serve, and love him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this reminder as we start another new year. Turn the page on that year that left us hobbled, frustrated, and beat down. Lord, we pray for a new beginning now. We pray for an open open hearts and open eyes to see our true purpose for being. It's not wrapped up in work and bills and stuff. It's so much more. It's to be sons and daughters of the one true God, to worship and serve and love you with all our being. So Lord, I pray for the courage for each of us gathered here to step into that purpose and not to settle for anything less. And We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.